Welcome to the Agency Growth Machine Podcast, where it's all about transforming potential into profit. And now your host, Randy Schwantz. Five, this is Randy Schwantz. And uh, today's podcast is all for the wedge haters. Those people out there who say, I would never, I would never do the wedge. Uh, it's wrong, man. You're throwing, you're talking bad about the other guy. And, and I just want to go through the philosophy with you today and show you that if you really went back and read the book, understood the process, you'd know that's the opposite of the truth. In fact, it might be less salesy, less pushy, less in your face than all the stuff you've ever learned, where almost all the traditional selling processes have uh how to overcome objections. I mean, even think about what that means, that somebody has a question, so they give it to you. Well, then we're going to label that as they're objecting. So now I've got to find ways to overcome them. And now it's an arm wrestling match. And I've got to convince and persuade them that I'm right and that they're wrong. And that's kind of psychologically what's going on inside your head when you start thinking about overcoming objections, isn't it? Here's the other thing. Almost all traditional sales training has uh, great stuff on how to close the deal, lock it down tight, all that sort of stuff. And yet, think about this. When people start trying to close you, what do you do? You probably resist. So what I want to do is just take a few moments here today and and go through what I, I call the rules of the wedge. It's really kind of the psychology and philosophy behind this whole thing and if after this is done and you still hate the wedge at least you're an educated hater you're not an uneducated hater and uh, what really brought this up is I was on the phone call with a guy yesterday and he's got a, a an agency where he said quote unquote he's hired seven producers when he hires a producer, he sends them off to a school um, that teaches them um, to prospect. It's an activity-driven school. And so, you know, they get on the phone and, and they do a lot of ex-dating. After they ex-date, and think about this. Think about the insanity of this, but you, you might think it's really cool. You know, build up a database of 200 ex-dates and then call them back 90 days before renewal when they are overwhelmed with calls and try to fight your way through that crowd, get them to set an appointment and then go in there and try to super qualify that prospect of, are they willing to make a change? And the way you're super qualifying them is you find out who their incumbent is, what that relationship is like. Um, You're uh, asking questions about uh, their policies, trying to find a coverage gap and saying things like you've got a special market that you don't know if they qualify for, but you think you can save them money. If I could, you know, I want to know, can you switch to us? And then you make it all about you because you need the money. And so that's, that's kind of the contrast we're going after is, are you out there selling you? And so when, when this guy said we're one out of seven, one out of seven on new producers, I mean, I, I don't know, folks, that's not very good. And then we start talking about, well, when you onboard these guys, what do you teach them to do? Well, you know, we're, we, we teach them to go sell our philosophy. Okay, what's your philosophy? Well, we take a risk management approach. You know, we want to know that, you know, if we can bring a risk management approach where we're improving 
you know, blank, blank and blank. You know, will they let us in and go do a walk around and dig in and audit and all this sort of stuff? You know, it's in, well, all I'm trying to say to you is that for a new producer, both of those are really hard to pull off. When you when you put handcuffs on a new producer and say, look, the only thing you have to sell is you, you're brand new and all you have to sell is you and find a coverage gap that's a big enough deal that's going to cause, that's going to wreck your prospect's world and bring back pricing that the incumbent can match that, that you either got to go do that or on the other side of the fence, go sell a big, a big picture risk management philosophy that you know almost nothing about. It's like, man, for a new producer, that's hard. And so you, you, you sit there and you go, no wonder one out of seven, one out of five. I mean, you're putting them on a track of destruction, a track of pain, a track of agony, make a bunch of cold calls and X date, and then call back when everybody else is calling saying you want an appointment is going to attract bottom feeders and then go in there and try to find a coverage gap and save them money. Now you got a bottom feeder who's going to then show it back to the incumbent the young guy gets rolled and then they quit the business. It's just not good. So for all you wedge haters, I just want you to, to, to start to think about this. Think about this from a psychological perspective, a philosophical perspective of selling. And, and, and that's all I'm going to try to lay out for you today. I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm just going to say to you, here, here's why it is the way it is. So when we talk about the rules of the wedge, when we're doing a live class, we, we lay this out. Rule number one is the law of physics says that no two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. There is a throne, and on that throne is the incumbent agent. It's just a very real thing that no throne can occupy, can have two kings. And right now, the king is the incumbent. Well, most people don't want to pay attention to that. And I get it. I totally get it. I remember like when I was a a young sales guy uh, working for a subcontractor in the construction business. We did metal work. We did on big apartment complexes. We did those metal stairways with concrete steps. We did the metal balcony rails, you know, so you don't fall off and kill yourself. We did the carport. So you'd have the place to park your car. And if you're in Arizona and Texas, you really care about that, you know, because if not, you'll go out and your car will be about 180 degrees and takes about half an hour to cool off. Or if you're in a place where there's a lot of hell, <laughs> you want to park under a park or something so as to protect your car. So that's what I did. I sold stairways, back and rails and carports, all metal. We installed and everything. So I was out talking to this one contractor and I, I, this is young, my, I mean, in my young days, I knew who the competition was. Uh, I knew they did, th- their paint was lousy. The way they would weld and grind it down was lousy. Uh, their installation was lousy. I mean, they were just bad. And I knew they were bad. And I said they were bad. And I kind of went after them. And then my prospect, uh, not so politely, in a sense, ushered me out of his office and told me I didn't really, really need to ever come back. He didn't like me talking down about his guy. So then I go back and tell my boss, man, Mike, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And so I tell him, I'm talking about this guy. You know, those guys, they're bad, bad paint, bad metal. They don't grind. You know, they're they're bad installers, all that sort of stuff. We're better than they are. And I told him. And then Mike looked at me and said, 
hey man, didn't you ever learn anything from your mama? I go, what are you talking about? Mama. We talk like that in Texas. Didn't you ever learn anything from your mama? What are you talking about? Didn't your mom tell you if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all? Yeah. Well, Randy, that applies to selling. So if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Randy, just go sell yourself. And that's what he said to me. Randy, just go sell yourself. Now, I think that is brilliant, brilliant coaching and mentoring that he gave me. The problem is, if you're inside of my body and my mind at that moment, and he's sitting there going, hey, Randy, go sell yourself. All right. What is that? What is myself that I'm selling? Am I selling my relationship? I'm selling my personality. Am I selling my knowledge, my experience? I was new in the business. I didn't have any knowledge or experience to sell. Go sell our company and our great reputation. Um, What am I supposed to sell? And I just found it really confusing. And so on my shelf right over here, boom, I'm looking at it. I got 200 books on selling. They all have one thing in common. They say that there's two people in a sales interview. And they say, if you can build relationship, if you can ask probing questions and find out what your prospect needs, if you can bring them what you need, then you'll get rewarded. But see, I just think they're half wrong. That instead of there being two people in a sales interview, there are three. Me, the seller, you, the buyer, and that bad boy incumbent. There's always a bad boy incumbent in the insurance business. Unless you're going after a brand new business that doesn't have an incumbent. And in that case, there's no money. And you'll never make a great living, which is okay with me too if you don't want to make a great living. That's fine. It's just, you know, if you're going to be honest about that too. I mean, you got, you got, if you have children, you got cars, weddings, universities. If you have a spouse, then you want to fund the retirement, at least for them, if not for you. I mean, you need to make money, not because you're greedy, but because it's just in the real world, everything we do costs money. So rule number one is the law of physics says two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. There is an incumbent. Somebody has to lose for me to win. I got to find a way to get that guy off the throne as well as me get on. And think about this. I mean, think about this in a big way. And, and for you guys who are studs out there that are wedge headers, I mean, I get it. I'm okay with it. But, but can you imagine you hire a new dude or dudette? Here we are. We just hired him. And we're saying to them, go sell yourself. Now, they're not going to push back on you because it's not what they do. I mean, they're afraid to. They're, they're a new employee. They're not going to go, boss, are you a nut? You're telling me, go sell myself? So then you send them off to technical school. Well, you know, go find coverage gaps. And then here's the other thing that's crazy about that. After two or three, four months of technical training, they're still 15 years behind the average incumbent in terms of in terms of coverage and stuff. And they know it, right? They know it. So when you say go sell yourself, go find a coverage gap, you're you're asking them to go do things that just really makes no sense to the average new producer, and yet they're not going to push back because they're afraid to. So there is an incumbent. That person has to lose for you to win. My belief is not only do you have to get the buyer to see how good you are, You've also got to get the buyer to see how bad the incumbent is. 
If not, think about this. If not, they already think the incumbent is good. That's why they are the incumbent. You can come in and tell them all the things you can do. They go, oh, you're good. Now I've got two best friends. I got the incumbent. I like you. But the incumbent has the benefit of being on the throne, having a multi-year relationship in most cases, be able to come back in with the guilt card, the loyalty card, the don't you love me card, the hey, look at all the things I've done for you in the past card. Hey, aren't we friends card? And with all that emotional trash and baggage and leverage, the incumbent generally keeps the business. So law number one, rule number one, the law of physics says no two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. So you can be a wedge hater, but it really makes a lot of sense. That guy's got to get fired for you to get hired. It's just the real world. It's the real world. Rule number two, nothing is either good or bad except by comparison. See, until you can effectively, as a buyer, compare one to the other, and it's concrete enough to make that comparison, without that, it looks the same. So when you sell a philosophy, you know, we take a risk management approach. We have in-house loss control and claims management. And we believe in, and then you tell your little philosophy deal. Well, the problem with that a risk management approach is really abstract. Even having lost control and claims management is very abstract. How do I compare that? That's like going to that's like going to a restaurant and them saying, you know, we've got chefs. And then you go, well, that's not good enough. So we'll throw some adjectives on there. We've got great chefs. We have experienced chefs. We have knowledgeable chefs. We have chefs that care. And now use the consumer of food. You're thinking, yeah, so what? So when you're sitting there saying, we have, take a risk management approach. We have in-house loss control. We have in-house claims management. Still, the most buyers are going, yeah, so what? Who cares? That's what everybody says. So unless you can bring that down to something that's very concrete, and so here's what I would ask you to do right now. Hold out your left hand and hold a water balloon. Hold out your right hand and hold a brick. And imagine you're getting attacked. Which is the better weapon? Well, if it's me, I'll take the brick. It's solid. It's specific. It's got square corners. The balloon is abstract, fluffy. It's kind of like, you know, a marshmallow, a balloon, squishy. It's not going to do much damage. So when people say we have take a risk management approach, we got, you know, we've got a 62 year history of being local. We're local. Who cares? You know, we're, we're locally owned. Okay. That's nice. You know, so, so now you're locally owned and, you know, uh, USI and hub and Aon and Marsh and all those guys are not, but they, they, they came from local stock, you know? So, so all those things are empty. And from a buyer's perspective, nothing is either good or bad except by comparison. Unless you give me something I can easily compare, then it all sounds the same and there is no competitive advantage. So what the wedge makes you do is go from abstract to concrete, from selling an idea to selling a very defined process. So think about that for a moment, if you will. Let's go on to rule number three. 
This is pretty interesting. It's easier get to get someone to deny that what they have is perfect than to get them to admit that they have a problem or that there is a problem. You think about it. We call on C-suite people. Now, why are they in the C-suite? Well, they're in the C-suite for several reasons, but one of the biggest reasons they're in the C-suite is because that's where they believe they belong. There's a lot of smart people that don't have the ego or the pride to be in the C-suite. You get in the C-suite because either you inherited it, but those guys who inherited it don't last there very long. You get there because you're good at what you do. You believe you're good at what you do. You have a pretty good size ego. You got a lot of pride. Now, here's my point. Have you ever tried to get somebody with a lot of ego and a lot of pride to admit they have a problem? They can't do it. It's just the way they're wired. The DNA says, I can't admit that. So the whole point here, it's easy to get someone to deny that what they have is perfect than to get them to admit that they have a problem. So instead of going there and saying, you know, let me point out these problems. You agree this is a problem. Let's get them to deny that what they have is perfect. Now think about that. That's a twist. You won't find that in any traditional selling class to get people to deny that what they have is perfect rather than to admit they have a problem. Almost all probing questions are designed to get people to admit they have a problem and nobody wants to admit they have a problem, but it's easier to deny they have perfection. Okay. Let me give you an example. You used to go home for, for Thanksgiving dinner. My mom would cook, would cook, you know, a big old Thanksgiving dinner. She cooked turkey. So I'd sit there and be eating the turkey and say, Hey mom, uh, turkey's pretty good, but it's a, uh, it's a little dry. Now, my mom kind of look at me and go, hey, let me tell you something, buddy. I went to 30 different supermarkets. I thumped all the turkeys. I picked the most moist, best one, put it in the oven for 295 for about two hours. I think the turkey's fine once you drink some water. An example of can't admit they have a problem. But on the flip side of it, say, you go say, hey, mom, the turkey was awesome. Well, my mom will come back. Yeah, I know, but didn't have enough salt. She's going to tell you what's wrong with it. It's just you look at the psychology behind that and you see how people really work in the real world. Here's the next thing. The easiest way to get somebody defensive is to talk negatively about a decision they made. So when you talk bad about the incumbent, they have to defend it. So instead of talking bad about the incumbent, Let's make the assumption through our question, the incumbent did a great job. And then through that process, and here's what I want you to go back. And here's, here's the big misunderstanding of the wedge. They think we're throwing the, wet, the, the incumbent under the bus. They think we're talking bad about the other guy. It's just the opposite. We're making the assumption that the other guy did a perfect job. And then what happens, the buyer has to go through a discovery process. Hmm. They didn't do that. Okay. Now we could go, ooh, 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 ooh. Well, we do it. We do it. And you start telling them how great you are. Or you kind of move on to what we said is our next kind of rule. The more you push them, the more they push back to get even. So when you start selling, in a sense, you go into a push mode. Well, when you push, what do they do? They push back. So when they say, no, the other guy's not doing it. Instead of going, ooh, 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 we do it. Would that be important to you? Let me show what we could do. And now you start to puke on them and tell them your great story and all that sort of stuff. You just kind of do the opposite and kind of go, oh, okay. So then having that's not that big a deal. 
It's called a takeaway. You've probably heard it. Don't know if you use it. You probably use it in certain places in your life. It's a huge psychological shift. Had this agency in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was a big farm. At that point, oh, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 million dollars of revenue. You know, they're probably 30 million now. The CEO, um, CEO kind of pushed back on a lot of this stuff. And um, why? Because he had a big ego. Um, and then about five months into our engagement, he writes me a letter and he apologizes. He says, you know, I'm sorry I didn't get engaged on the front end. Um, in essence, it wasn't my idea. Um, but now that I've kind of got into it. I can see the real effects of it. And, and then he goes on to say, and the takeaway, the best sales technique I've ever heard. And this is a CEO that had a $2 million book of business. So this thing we call the takeaway is really, really important because it's the opposite of push. It's a pull sort of deal where you back up, you create space, you let them come at you. So there's a a lot of psychological jujitsu in here. And maybe that's why you're a wedge hater. I, I don't know. And then we got a rule number six, the best idea anyone ever heard was the one they thought of themselves. So now when you're using this system well, you're asking questions that raise the expectation of the buyer, making the assumption that they're already getting this from the incumbent, and you just you just raise the bar. You created a new benchmark. And then the buyer has to go through a discovery process going, no, they don't do that. And instead of you jumping all over it, you just kind of back up and go, oh, okay, so then it's not that big a deal. And they go, well, yeah, of course. And so you sit there and think about it. at that point, who's owning the problem? It's not your problem anymore. They're owning the problem. You're not trying to sell and persuade. You know, what they're doing is, is that they're, they're being, uh, through the back door, educated, raised expectations, and they're discovering the bad guy, the incumbent's not doing their job. It's the opposite of throwing the other guy under the bus. So for you wedge haters, just pay attention right here. We're not throwing the other guy under the bus. Basically, the buyer's discovering that the incumbent's not doing their job. And so the buyer, in essence, is throwing the incumbent under the bus. The buyer's going, hmm, I thought I could trust you. Now I don't know. And then you do another one. Now I'm really sure I can't trust you. And then... And, you know, we get three or four of those in. And then all of a sudden the buyer just tilts and goes, why am I putting up with this crap? We never threw the other guy in the bus. The buyer did. So then rule number six, the best idea any ever, anyone ever heard was the one they thought of themselves. It's this whole step where now we slow it down and help the buyer think through what they want and how they want to be served. I just connected with a guy on LinkedIn. And he said, we have a suite of proactive services we provide our clients. It's cool. So I, 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 I kind of messaged him through LinkedIn. What are your proactive services? And his proactive services were his suite of services. Online enrollment, you know, HR portal, uh, things like that. Again, pretty conceptual. Anybody in the employee benefits business that is doing any, any volume at all, has all of that. So 
it's a suite of services. It's not a suite of proactive services. And there's, that's, a, that's a huge distinction. When you think about service, you've got, first of all, you've got capabilities. You've got departments. Loss control is a department. Claims management is a department. Your HR portal is a product. It's how you roll those out specifically and get them engaged or executed or your reviews or utilization, the specific things that really become your proactive services. I see a lot of people com- confusing capabilities with specific proactive services. And the problem is when you stay in the capabilities world, you, like everybody else, you become the same. And that's why for new producers, it becomes so hard. The problem is the people who went out and found those capabilities are really proud of them. And they're not willing to slow down and think about the specific things. It's just like you take loss control. Loss control is a department. There are people. Those people do specific things. If we could define those specific things, each one of those becomes a brick. Now we have proactive services, not just a capability. So now that we've used that to get the buyer to see they're being underserved by the other guy, now they know what they don't want. They don't want to put up with that anymore, but do they know what they do want? And the answer is not really. It's like there's a lot of people that maybe they're working in a job and they tell you, yeah, my job's not going so good. Oh, really? What's wrong? I don't know. And then they start to tell you all this stuff that's not right. And then you say to them, well, well tell me, what, what, what would you like to do? And many times they don't know. Well, there's a step in the whole wedge process that takes that. They don't know what the future looks like. And we help them create a very concrete blueprint. Why? Because the best idea anyone ever heard was when they thought of themselves. When we can help them create their blueprint for them, they own it. They want to take action on it. And they'll go fight to get it. They'll fight to fire the incumbent or they'll fight to convince their boss. It's an incredibly powerful element of the whole wet sales call. And frankly, you won't find it. You won't find it in any of the 200 books I have over here on my shelf. And yet psychologically, I mean, tell me right or wrong, the best idea anyone ever heard was the one they thought of themselves. I mean, to what degree do you agree with that? So then the the next big rule in philosophy, and this is number seven, this is the end, to gain leverage, never ask for the sell, make them ask you. Now, that's blasphemous. You know, we're trained killers. We've been taught to close the deal. But think about it. When somebody starts trying to close you, what do you do? Do you open up and say, yeah, baby, close me. There's a few people that, that say they want to get closed, but the average human being doesn't want to get closed. They want to make their own buying decision. So here says to gain leverage, don't ask for the sell. Make them ask you. So there's a process to make them ask you to take action. You never volunteer to do a proposal. You make them ask you for that because when they ask you, it gives you that little hint of leverage you need to then deal with the number one problem selling commercial insurance, which is still, if they can't fire the incumbent, they can't hire you. So when they ask you for something, now it opens up the door for you then to 
we call it the rehearsal, to work them through what it's like to tell the other person that it's over. And you're doing this for two or three fantastic reasons. Um, when they're not prepared for what the incumbent's going to do, and I got this email just a couple of days ago where guys went in and they're going after a, 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 an account. It was, a, it was written with a PEO and they were taken away from the PEO and they rehearsed their HR person through what was going to happen to get her prepared. And had she not been prepared, she would have crumbled. The, the PEO came back and said, hey, look, man, I don't know what they're telling you, but if it's price, we'll match it. All the coverages we can match, all the services we can match. Look, just give us another year to get this right. Please, please, please do not fire me. Please do not let me go. Please keep me on this deal. And I promise you, if that HR person hadn't, hadn't been prepared for that, rehearsed through what that's going to be like, they would have crumbled and folded. Now, two bad things happen when that happens. Uh, bad thing number one is um, they now have to suffer with that incumbent for another 12 months for emotional reasons, not intellectual reasons. That's bad. They're going to they're gonna stay in that pot of muck for another year because that's how long these agreements last. So that's bad. And you let that happen to your buyer. Second thing is you didn't get paid. So everything you want for your family, the incumbent still has. You know, the money you would gotten off that account that pays for cars, universities, weddings, funds your retirement, you know, sends them off to, you know, uh, lets them go to a nice basketball camp or a soccer camp or, you know, belong a traveling, you know, join a traveling, you know, hockey, whatever it is. All that money you need for that, the incumbent still has it. So, this is what the wedge is about for you wedge haters. It's really not really a great selling system. It's a great buyer's facilitation system. Because when you think about it, if you stop and think about what does a buyer really want? What they want, what they don't have. They don't need to just replicate what they have. They want what they don't have. And most time they don't understand that. And so when you help raise their expectation about what they could have, make it clear to them, help them with the path to get um, how it's going to be delivered, and then work them through what they have to do to get it, which is fire the other guy, that opens up the seat and they put you in it. That's what this is really about. So compare it to all the other stuff. It's a buyer's facilitation process probably not really a great sales training process because it doesn't have a big module on how to overcome objections and it doesn't have a big module on how to close the guy. But when you use this, buyers want to give you a BOR. A lot of them. I've got an amazing number of clients that have gone from never gotten a BOR to getting BORs 60, 70, and 80% of the time. Some of the employee benefits guys get it 100% of the time. So think about that, you wedge haters. Think about that. All right, man, this is Randy Schwantz signing off. This is another podcast called Agency Growth Machine.